Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Free, episode 89, Choose You This Day. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're here. This week, we are learning about the book of Joshua. Remember that last week we saw the conclusion of Moses and his earthly ministry as he was then translated, and the mantle of prophet was passed on to Joshua. I can't help but in my mind picture Joshua from the Ten Commandments with with uh, Charlton Heston, and and then we had Miriam who said, Joshua, can you just hear it in your mind? <laughs> anyway, so I picture his face as we're talking about Joshua, but in reality, Joshua was an incredible prophet, and we see in these chapters that he was called of God, and we see in this book of Joshua that the Lord finds it important or or necessary to testify to the Israelites that Joshua was a prophet just as legitimately and powerfully called of God as Moses was. So in Come Follow Me, we are asked to study chapters one through eight, and then we skip a bunch of chapters, and then we are asked to read the final two chapters of Joshua, which are his farewell chapters to the children of Israel as he's about to die. And we just did some farewell chapters of Moses. And they're kind of, they're, they're definitely different, but it's kind of just a reiteration of, of command, reminding them to follow the Lord, just like Moses had done in his farewell addresses. So chapters one through eight are all about the children of Israel finally being permitted to enter the promised land. The children of Israel had quite the experience as they are permitted to enter. And the Lord wanted to magnify Joshua, confirm in the eyes of the people that he was just as much a prophet as Moses ever was. And of course, the overarching goal always is to remind the children of Israel who is sovereign, who is in charge, who has their back as they choose to serve him, the Lord. It's never the prophet. It's never Joshua himself who has this power. It's the Lord that is behind it all. And this new miracle that the children of Israel get to experience is just another reminder of that. So if you remember, the Israelites are always commanded to travel with the Ark of the Covenant in the front of any travel procession as they move locations. So they're about to enter the promised land and the people are commanded to sanctify themselves and to travel a certain distance behind the Levites who are commanded to take the Ark of the Covenant and carry it toward the River Jordan, which they have to cross in order to get to Canaan. They're also commanded to have one representative um, from each tribe, so 12 representatives, to follow directly behind the Ark of the Covenant, again, with a certain distance between the Ark of the Covenant and them. So I'm going to read to you what happened next, and it's just it's so, so cool. Chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon an heap. And it shall come to pass, when the people remove from their tents to pass over Jordan, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come unto Jordan, as the feet of the priest that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon an heap very far from the city Adam, that is beside Zeraton. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, Failed and were cut off, and the people passed over right against Jericho. And the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed clean over Jordan. 
The Lord performs a similar miracle as he did when the Israelites escaped from Egypt. Because they sanctified themselves and followed the Lord's command, they are permitted to cross on dry ground. Can you imagine that visual? The priests walk up carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the water stops flowing and makes it so there is a pathway across the river. And so the priests stand there holding firm as the entirety of the children of Israel cross the river Jordan. And that's, I mean, that's not like 2,000 people. That's hundreds of thousands of people, maybe more. And it must have been quite the sight because word spreads throughout the land of Canaan that the children of Israel are a people to fear. They notice, they know that the river was stopped in order for them to cross. So the Lord asks the Israelites to do this this really cool thing that I just love. So each of the 12 representatives from each tribe were asked to take a stone out of the river before the river was permitted to flow again and use their stones as a reminder for themselves and their posterity of what the Lord has done for them. Don't you just love that? I love the thought of having a stone from the river and how special that stone would have been to the Israelites that it was reminding them of when the Lord yet again parted the water so that they could cross. I It made me think, I'm going to start collecting stones. I mean, I already kind of do collect rocks all around my house. My kids are always bringing rocks and they're special and they come from special places. But now I want to write miracles that we see as a family and especially in light of the the challenge that President Nelson has asked us to to take on, that we need to be seeking and expecting miracles. And what a symbol to the Lord that would be to have a physical reminder in our life, showing the Lord that we cherish and are excited for those times in our life when we can see his hand working in our lives. I think I'll have us write down a word or a phrase on whatever rock that we put in and everybody can put in whatever rock that they want and write down whatever phrase they want. I'm, I'm really excited about it. So I just wanted to throw that idea out there in case that resonates with you. Okay, back to what we were talking about. The story of the children of Israel taking over the land of Canaan, the promised land, is a story of the Israelites choosing who they will serve. And because of that choice, the Lord fights for them. Before we get into some of the stories of the Israelites conquering Canaan, I want to read some of the things that Joshua has to say at the very end of his life, after they've already conquered Canaan and even had many years of rest, things that that just stuck out to me. In chapters 23 and 24, The Lord your God, he hath fought for you, cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. Ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God hath spoken concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you, when ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and in gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves to them. Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land, which he hath given unto you. And I have given unto you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and the oliveyards which ye planted not do ye eat. Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. 
And they said, we are witnesses. Okay, so a few things I love in there. The Lord fights for us as we cleave to the Lord. The Lord also expects us to keep our covenants and outlines that there will be consequences when we don't. I love when it says that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. The Lord doesn't fail. I love that we get to choose whom we will serve. And I love the end where it says, Ye are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen you and the Lord to serve him. We not only are our covenants witnessed by by angels and the people around us, but when we covenant, we are witnesses unto ourselves. And I just think that that's a really cool thing to think about because do you not think when you get to judgment day, when you get to stand before our heavenly father, that you will witness that you either did good or evil, that you either held up your end of the bargain or you didn't, you will be a witness against or for yourself. We see here in the end of the book of Joshua that by and large, the children of Israel have chosen the Lord, chosen to trust him, chosen to take on the responsibility and weight of making a covenant like that with the Lord. And Joshua is boldly saying here at the end that they are witnesses against themselves and that they have chosen to serve the Lord right now and that they will be held responsible to that covenant. And in doing that, they are choosing what matters most. They're taking everything else, putting it aside and putting the Lord before all things. Sister Becky Craven says in her talk, do what mattereth most. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ involves more than just hoping or believing. It calls for effort, movement, and commitment. It requires that we do something, being doers of the word and not hearers only. The Israelites have spent their lives learning how to be doers of the word and not hearers only. They were required to be doers. If they didn't do as the Lord asked, they were immediately punished. In the first eight chapters of Joshua, we see examples of the Israelites choosing to follow the Lord precisely and being blessed for that. And we also see an example of them not following the Lord precisely and then being punished for it. So first we have the story of Jericho. Joshua sends priests to go scout out what conquering the city of Jericho is going to look like. And they meet a harlot along the way named Rahab who hides them in her house. And when the king of Jericho learns that they have come to spy on the city, he sends out his own spies to try and find them. Rahab successfully hides them. They come and ask her about them because I guess people saw them come into her her place of residence, whatever they were doing there. And so they came and asked, hey, where are these guys? And she lies to them and says that she doesn't know. And she hides them. I didn't quite understand. It's like among the reeds on her roof. Um, but the reason she decides to hide them is because she can see that the Lord is with the Israelites and that surely her people are going to be conquered. She asks for them to spare her and her family in exchange for keeping them safe. So they enter into that agreement with her and that as long as they can exit the city and be unharmed, that she doesn't send anybody after them and, and give them up, that they will spare her and her family when they come in to conquer Jericho. So they are eventually able to return to Joshua and let him know what had happened. And at this point, we get the famous story of the soldiers of the Israelites walking around the walls of Jericho. Back in those days, many of the cities were surrounded by walls, and it was a way to, to keep the city safe and fortified, as you can imagine. 
So they were commanded to walk around the city each day for six days. First came some armed men who had seven ram's horns trumpets that they would blow as they walked around the city. And directly behind that came the ark, which was interesting to me because usually the ark would come first. But in this instance, the armed men came first blowing the trumpets and then the ark and then the soldiers afterward. The soldiers were commanded on the first six days to be completely silent. And then on the seventh day, They walked around the city seven times, and then at Joshua's command to yell and blow their horns and the walls would come tumbling down, which they did. Once that happened, they were able to take the city of Jericho, and they kept their promise to Rahab and her family to spare them, and then they were commanded to destroy everything in the city and only take gold and silver to be consecrated to the Lord. In the story of the city of Jericho, the Israelites follow the Lord's command very precisely, and As a result, they were incredibly, miraculously successful. But unfortunately, it was at this point, as they were collecting the riches of Jericho to consecrate to the Lord, that there was one man among them that decided to steal some of the treasure for himself. No one knew this, but of course, the Lord knew it. There was a small settlement that they were set to conquer next, and Joshua chooses to send only 3,000 men, thinking that it would be an easy defeat. But, surprising to them, they were unable to do that. And Joshua is really upset, and he doesn't understand, and he asks the Lord what the deal is. And it's at this point that the Lord tells Joshua that Israel has sinned, and that someone has taken treasure from Jericho. So Joshua has to search all of Israel to find out who has taken treasure from the city of Jericho after they were commanded to not do that. He finds the person that did that. They are put to death and the Lord tells them that they are again supported by him and that they can keep moving forward and conquering the land of Canaan. Okay, so there is so much I'm skipping here and you really just need to read it for yourself in order to get all of the incredible detail that are in these chapters. But it's on these two stories that I want to focus along with the words in the final sermon of Joshua saying, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When the Israelites chose to serve and obey the Lord with precision and dedication, they succeeded. And when they didn't, they were no longer supported by the Lord. It was a matter, again, of choosing what mattered most. Anytime we deviate from the commands of the Lord, we are choosing things that do matter less. When we choose not to follow a prompting because we feel uncomfortable, we are choosing comfort over the Lord. When we choose not to keep the Sabbath day holy, we are choosing something else ahead of the Lord's day. When we choose to lie over telling the truth, we are choosing short-term self-interest over obeying the laws and commandments of the Lord. Always, when we disobey the commandments in whatever way it is, we are choosing something besides the Lord. One of my favorite famous scriptures is 1 Nephi chapter 3, verse 7. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he hath commanded them. When Nephi said this, he was choosing the Lord over his concerns, over his brother's concerns, over their comfort, whatever other concerns or or objections that anyone had to this. He was choosing the Lord's command ahead of whatever else might have entered into his mind because he had faith that the Lord would provide a way. I love thinking about the fact that faith, the faith that Nephi had and the Israelites had, That the Lord would prepare a way is the substance that fuels the fulfillment of the Lord's promises. Without that faith, the Lord wouldn't provide a way. 
there's a popular notion right now that I'm sure all of you have heard some version of that whatever effort, whatever faith we put forth is acceptable to the Lord. But we know that that's not true. Nephi teaches us that it's not true. In 2 Nephi chapter 25, verse 23, we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. The Lord requires that we be doers and that he will make up the difference, but only after all we can do. The Lord needs to see that we will choose him above all other things. Neil A. Maxwell said the submission of one's will is really the only uniquely personal thing we have to place on God's altar. The Lord required that the Israelites do as he asked. He required that they put him first, that they choose him, that they do the thing that mattered most, which is choosing the Lord and sacrifice the things that they might be tempted to do instead. When we ask the question, what matters very most? There is only truly one right answer, and it was given to us clearly by the Savior in Matthew 22 when a lawyer came tempting him, asking, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When we prioritize this first great command, this command proclaimed by the Savior to be the one that matters the most, everything else that matters will fall into place, which makes me think what things in my life are distracting me from what matters most. I invite you to consider what matters most in your life and what is distracting you from that, whether it's a bad distraction, a neutral distraction, or a distraction that is a good thing and yet is keeping you from what matters most. Sister Craven continues, In the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord occasionally says, It mattereth not. It makes me ponder that if some things matter not or matter less, there must be things that matter most. In our efforts to do something or do anything, we might ask ourselves, What mattereth most? It takes effort to stay focused on what is truly essential for lasting joy. Satan would love nothing more than for us to misplace our eternal values, leading us to waste precious time, talents, or spiritual strength on things that matter not. I invite each of us to prayerfully consider those things that distract us from doing what mattereth most. The journey of the Israelites from Egypt through the wilderness and now into the land of Canaan is a powerful demonstration that prioritizing the Lord over everything is the only way we can make it through this life spotless, to make it to the ultimate promised land, to live with him again. Now it's been a while since I've ended with my favorite scripture, so I'm going to tie it in today. Helaman 5.12 And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall. I want to end this with an experience that Joshua had right before they were about to start all of these battles in the land of Canaan. It says in chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as a captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth 
and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Just as the Lord sent his captain of the host of heaven to Joshua, don't doubt for one moment that those warriors of the host of heaven are not here fighting for us now. Do you think that there is any chance that you are alone when you build upon the rock of Jesus Christ, when you choose him who matters most? How can he promise that we will not fall when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you? Aside from the fact that he alone, as the master and the creator of all, could do it? There is no doubt in my mind that the Lord has sent his warriors to defend and fight for us, just as he sent the captain of the hosts of heaven of the Lord to Joshua? We need to figure out how to have confidence in all of that. If we can have the faith that then brings to fruition the success that the Lord promises us, then we individually cannot fall. But whether we choose that or not, and we do have the choice, I testify that ultimately the battle overall is already won. The outcome is already determined. Remember when Moses asked the Israelites, who is on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, you cannot fall. The battle has already been won. Joshua says in chapter 1, verse 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. I bear my testimony to you that as you trust him, as you choose him, as you choose what matters most, the Lord is with you as powerfully as he was with the Israelites, as the walls of Jericho fell, and as the river Jordan stopped flowing. He will bear you up through whatever life throws at you because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if you build, you cannot fall. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.